Well, kia ora and thank you for tuning into this episode of the Coach's Corner podcast. Before I introduce our amazing guests, uh, what we're going to do, and, and this will give you a wee hint around where our discussion is going to head to today. If you were to add up every number from 1 to 100, what is the answer? And I'll give you a little bit of time to think, or you can press pause. If your brain has just short-circuited, like mine did the first time I saw this problem, then there's no fear, because our guest today is Professor of math- Mathematician, uh, from the University of Oxford and author of a book uh, called Thinking Better, The Art of Shortcuts, Marcus Dusatoy. Uh, hopefully I pronounced your last name correctly, Marcus. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Well, Marcus, thank you so much for um, for joining us. And I guess, can you help us out with the answer there? One, if you added all the numbers up, one to a hundred, what should our, our listeners get? Yeah, well, the answer is uh, 5,050, um, but there's a kind of slow way to do this problem and a fast way. So my book is all about trying to find the clever way to solve a problem. So the slow way is, of course, to add, start at the number one, then add two, then add three, then add four. And it's, you know, that's a long calculation. It's uh, probably make some mistakes on the way. Um, that's a bit like starting a journey from the beginning and just tramping through the undergrowth, trying to get to your destination. But there's actually a, a cleverer way to think about this problem. And this is to actually pair the beginning and the end of the journey up. So if you look at uh, the numbers in pairs, if you take the first number one, and the last number 100, that adds up adds up to 101. But the intriguing thing is if you take the next number two and add it to 99, that also adds up to 101. So you realize, oh, if I think about it as the beginning and the end of the journey and just pair these numbers up, you've actually got 50 pairs of numbers all adding up to 101. So very quickly, you see, well, that's 50 times 101, that's 5,050. So my maths teacher, when I was at school, challenged, challenged the class with this problem. And you know, most of my classmates, and I think I was also at the same time thinking, oh, okay, I've got to, it's about long, hard slogging calculation. And then he said, no, stop. And he, he said, look, think about it this way. And I think that was the moment of revelation for me that um, mathematics, I think traditionally people think is about long calculations, long division, hard work. And my teacher said, no, actually what I'm going to be teaching you is all of these clever ways of thinking, ways to uh, help you avoid doing like really boring, hard, long work and to step back and look at the problem in a kind of new way. And he said, you know, mathematics over the last 2000 years, what we've developed is a whole suite of strategies for problem solving. And that this is what this subject is about. And he, he sort of called it the art of the shortcut. Now, you know, I was a lazy teenager at school and I thought, well, that's the subject for me. Um, but of course, actually, the weird thing is, um, although there are all of these wonderful shortcuts, and as she takes some training in order to get your mindset into this kind of uh, way of thinking. So although, you know, they are shortcuts, ultimately, 
uh, it's actually taken humanity a long time to find these shortcuts. There's kind of a almost a strange contradiction in there. Um, but you know, once you've learned these shortcuts, they give you a whole suite of ways of thinking. And that was what I wanted the book to do, to try and help people to think about problem solving um, wherever it is, you know, whether it be in business or in like in your case in sport, you know, to look at a game and go, hey, hold on. Um, are there interesting strategies? You know, should we think of a game as not just, you know, from uh, the moment the whistle blows all the way through to the end, but maybe there's actually an idea of thinking about the game as, you know, like the beginning and the end. Do those actually form some sort of pattern very often that, uh, you know, does a team play actually quite similarly at the beginning and the end of a, a game and, and somehow you can use that knowledge to to plan forward for for a strategy for a game, for example. Yeah, and and that's, and I think for for our listeners, and this is the reason why I got you on to, or I've asked for you to come on and be a guest on the podcast, is because I've read your book, and um, and we I've shared it briefly just before we hit record. Is is the reason why I took the book off the bookshelf before I purchased it was because it's the title of the book, "Thinking Better: The Art to Shortcuts," and I think. I was thinking straight away, I was just like, that is the book. I want to know what this book is about. My curiosity got a little bit tingled and, and so I'm, I'm ready to have a look. And then when I started having having a look at reading at the back and reading reading a little bit, I'm like, this is about mathematics. And I think a lot of people would, are daunted by, by numbers. And I think it's, like you said, it's that long slog of like, one plus two plus three and so on to 99 plus 100 and hopefully we get to a right answer but that there for me was was I just couldn't do it my my mind didn't work like that but when I kept reading the book and I don't know how many times I was like I've had enough of this book I'm putting it down I can't can't read it and then all of a sudden you've got me hooked on again because there was something there that gave me a little a little bit of understanding and it was when you talked around mathematics is like a, a language and I was just like oh I can understand maths a little bit better now and if I knew that when I was going through my my school years maybe I might have engaged with maths a little bit better um maybe maybe not it still could have been durish to me <laughs> but I I sat there for a moment was like okay if I look at language if I look at maths as a, as a type of language I can understand, yeah. I can understand that. I understand what it what it means. But then you said, then in the book it was around. There were some other cool little pieces around thinking like a mathematician, and and I know that like I've read Adam Grant's book Think Again, and he talks around thinking like a scientist, having a scientific mindset. So this here is having a math, math mathematics mindset around. Okay, well, what is the problem and what is what is the solution? So, can you talk to me a little bit to us a little bit more around how do you actually find the solution or the right solution to problems within mathematics? Because I think, um, and we might touch on it earlier, but yeah, or a little bit later on. But in the game of rugby, right, or for coaches, we are the forever tacticians to try and figure out the the secret code to try and unlock a defense or try and break a game apart or and you've got some football experience as well from from when you played but mass is there's no 
wrong, there's no right or wrong way to get to if the answer's 12. I, yeah, yeah. I think that's important because, um, you know, in a way, uh, you know, each problem has its kind of own, its own key to unlock it. And um, I think one of the useful strategies for me is actually um, being able to have a kind of suite of ways of thinking such that you might say, okay, is this something where a kind of uh, numbers data analysis is going to help me? And then you find, no, I can't see anything really here. And I think one of the skills of being a mathematician and something that I encourage my students is to often change the question that you're asking about the problem um, and try and find uh, you know, it, which is the door that's going to let you in? And in a way, you know, you said language. Sometimes, you know, uh, languages across the world, some languages are better attuned to talk about certain things. You know, uh, some languages have more words for snow in it. So if you want to talk about snow, you know, you use um, Inuit or something. Uh, some are better attuned for talking about love. Uh, and I think mathematics is the same, weirdly. So, um, you know, what I found in yeah, certainly when I was looking at football, that, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, the, a numbers game is a good way. You know, you want to look at um, just uh, the, the data about how people, how long are people running on the pitch? Is that going to help uh, understand which are the key players? But, you know, very often it's moving not from data and numbers, but to something like geometry. Because, you know, if you think about it, same with rugby, you know, these are all patterns of players on the on the field it's about seeing light you know uh, uh it's a sort of geometry in motion because you've got this kind of machine the team uh sort of moving around and you know in football we certainly talk a lot about um triangles and availability of triangles uh to be able to ping the ball around um and i think one of the most interesting analysis i saw uh, of a kind of piece of mathematics that you thought, well, how is this going to apply to understanding a football game um, was actually the algorithm that's used in Google to understand uh, the, the kind of network of the internet. Um, you know, Google is amazing at identifying, you know, you put in a search term, okay, I want to find out about Carl Friedrich Gauss and his biography, great mathematician. You know, up pops the, absolutely the website you want to visit to, uh, to learn about his biography. You know, he's that one of the heroes I take through my book, um, this mathematician who's somehow the master of the shortcut. But, you know, how does Google do that? Um, well, it analyzes the network and it uh, through the links between the different websites, it understands which website to prioritize all, over all of the others. Now, I saw a really interesting case where this kind of analysis was moved into a football uh, team. and. Uh, they said, okay, you know, can we analyze what are the key players in a football team? And really, again, it's it's like saying, okay, a football team is a network. It's about passes between one player and another. So if we analyze over the 90 minutes um, how the ball is being pinged around, and actually think of each of those passes like a link from one website to another, what Google did was to understand, well, actually, the importance of a website is actually determined by how many people link to it because they think, oh, well, that's, um, uh, they value a website, they will link from their website to it. And it's the same in football. You know, the key players are those that get passed to uh, most often because they're open uh, for, for that pass, they're trusted. And so 
this analysis used an algorithm that was used to understand the network of the internet. So, okay, we can do that on a football team. And they understood the kind of, they did an analysis of teams in the Euros, I think, um, 2000, early 2000, 2012, I think it was. And they saw that the English team actually suffers from, at that time, of having two key players, it was Lampard and Gerrard, who were like, like the, the hubs where everything went through them. But if you understand that, you understand to close England down, you just need to take these two players out and then the, the network doesn't work. But Spain, who actually won the Euros, I think, at that point, they played a, a game where actually no player was prioritised over any other. There wasn't a kind of key hub. So they played a very fluid game where many players were available. You know, is this, we even gave it a name, tiki-taki football. Um, and, you know, the analysis of that algorithm said, you know, this game, this team is very hard to take out because there's no key player. So, so I think it was really interesting. And actually, I think illustrates something that's very powerful about mathematics is that very often, um, you know, a solution that we've got for one problem is actually very transferable to something of a completely different nature. You know, this um, solution that Google came up with was an algorithm to understand the internet, but actually, that can be used to understand many different networks and and a team playing a game. Same in rugby; it's a different sort of network, and that's kind of interesting. You know, how about comparing the, the kind of way? You know, you've got a kind of split in rugby that you don't so clearly have in football. Yeah, you have defence, midfield, and the attackers, but you know, to have like the scrum uh, and then uh, you know the line that the ball will go out on in, in rugby. That's kind of interesting. You know, does that uh, cause a different play. And then you disrupt that, you know, in the middle of a game, suddenly it's much more fluid. And then you come back to the structure of the scrum and the line. Um, so, you know, how does understanding that from a geometric mathematical point of view, is that something that actually might help us play the game in a new way? So, so my kind of, um, message is that mathematics, we've come up with all of these different ways of thinking and why not try some of these ways of thinking in a kind of very new thing like rugby, which I don't really haven't, you know, I think football is kind of started to explore bringing in uh, kind of uh, thinkers from different areas. But I, I don't know. I mean, what, what's yeah. your experience in rugby? I, I guess Are there kind of new ways of thinking being brought in like that? Yeah. Well, in the, in the coaching courses that we that we do and that we teach, we, we teach our coaches around patterns of play and principles of play. And so patterns of play are, are generally just around like what are what are some of the ways that we that we're gonna gonna play that play the game of rugby. And and generally we break it out into and we talked direct talked with attack coach Joe Maddock, who was up and coaching up in Bath this year and he's gone to Japan this year. But we spread our forwards across across the field in general play, and we can split them up however many ways we want. But there's only eight forwards, right? So if we share that those eight forwards across the field, it could look like a one three three one. So this is the geometry stuff that you're talking about. It could look like a um, I think back in back in the day, the first one was like like a two four two. So we had two forwards in the 15 meter channel. We had four forwards in the middle of the park and then we had another two forwards in, in the edge channel. Nowadays, it, it you know, you could have two, two times four across, across the field. And yeah, but it's those, 
then there's like almost like this another little bit of like, okay, well we've got we've got that set up, um, and let's let's use one three three one for example because that's the most common one at the at the moment. And so we've got one forward on on the left hand side in the fifteen meter channel. We've got another forward on on the other side in the fifteen meter channel, and then we've got two groups of three in the middle. So there goes our that's our pattern. That's our shape what we call shape. Yeah, but, you know, as you're talking, you know, you are talking mathematics, aren't you? Because, uh, and that's, I think, what people really don't understand is, and, you know, it's a tragedy of our education system in somehow that um, there isn't this connection between, you know, we teach mathematics as a kind of isolated subject and people don't realise this connection. But, you know, just imagine combining a maths lesson with a sports lesson and just, you know, challenging the, the kids with, okay, well, how many different, you know, you've got eight, players for example how many different ways are there to group them you know you can have eight single people eight together um, but you can have four lots of two or two lots of four and and that's a really fascinating mathematical challenge and suddenly they're you know they, they're combining these two ways uh two disciplines and realizing hey actually they're so connected and i think that's sort of what we we miss so much are uh, showing how thinking mathematically can really help you to just Imagine the different ways that 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 team can be set up. Yeah. What what instant as soon as you said that, like, what would it look like if we brought a sports class together with a mass class? And it instantly, like, I instantly went to um, a podcast uh, by I think his name's uh, Dan Abraham, and he did it with another ed- with an educator. He's a he's a sports psychologist. Dan is. Um, his great podcast as well by the for those coaches that are listening in called the called the sports psych show um but he had doug lamov and who's a american educator and he's he's written a book called uh teach like a champion and and coach like a champion as well but he was talking around this research that they did around reading fluency within um uh i can't remember the age bracket but he was talking to dan about how the around comprehension and so they did this reading test and they had uh competent like efficient readers and then they had non-efficient readers but the piece the piece of um reading that these the tests that they got given is that it was around baseball and so the really efficient readers struggled to read this piece of writing by about baseball because they didn't understand the context they didn't understand the language of what mm-hmm. they were talking about and so their working memory was working overtime but then what they found that when they gave the piece of reading to the not so proficient readers, but they but they had a good background knowledge of baseball, they understand the language of it, their fluency of reading and their comprehension of of the reading just went through the roof. And I and instantly I thought, well, imagine a that mass class that you're talking about being designed in that way for those boys or girls who are solely highly yeah. attracted the sport and not so attuned to mathematics all of a sudden they are those worlds coming together and they're like all of a sudden they are talking about ge- like you like you're saying they're talking about geometry or they're talking about different types of configuration or they could be learning something around that is they understand the background knowledge they understand kind of almost the language they've got a rough idea of what language and mess but they've definitely got the idea in their sport bringing those two wheels together and they're like okay i get it yeah because they're tapping into a kind of intuitive language that they're you know if they're 
into sport. But often, you know, one of the messages of the book is that mathematics is, as you say, the, uh, said earlier, our language, and it's kind of the language of the universe. And you will find that language sort of bubbling under uh, so many things. So very often, although people might analytically find the kind of formal language of maths in the classroom quite difficult, they might actually be tapping into a much more intuitive um way of accessing that language through their body. And it's interesting because I've done a, a lot of uh, work with a theatre company. Uh, as I, uh, I love theatre. It's one of my uh, kind of passions. Um, and for, for me, one of the troubles is mathematics is too often in your head. And actually, if you can find it in your body, it will really help you to understand the math. So we did this exercise actually with kind of primary school um, where we did sort of music exercises and theater exercises. And actually, again, uh, we try to break down this kind of individual feel of competition uh, of mathematics. You know, I'm better than you. And actually made it a group exercise. So people had to work together to find the kind of patterns in the multiplication tables. And, you know, uh, we did this fun exercise where um, the kids, some one part of the class had to clap on the numbers that were divisible by two. Some had to clap on the numbers divisible by three or do some interesting action or shout and some on five. And then so we got the class doing this and we could hear the different claps and shouts coming out. And, you know, the challenge was when are you all going to do it together? And, you know, they as they um, played the game, they started to think, yeah, when are we, you know, so, OK, so when numbers divisible by two and three, we're all coming together. And, and they started to realize, OK. Oh yeah, it's a number divisible by two, three, and five. So when is that? Oh, the new, it's going to be thirty. And you can see the build-up, anticipation of the whole class realizing they're all going to do some action as thirty struck. And there was something nice about the collaborative nature of that as well, which um, you know I think often uh, maths becomes too sort of individually competitive, and to find that sort of group activity. But again, through the body, you know, they were experiencing their multiplication tables, twos, threes, and fives through an action of the body. And, and um, it firstly brought a lot of people in who perhaps weren't, didn't feel like they were good at maths, but they could do this exercise. It was simple enough. Um, and uh, it was a very empowering to, to kind of feel the maths in your body. And I think, um, you know, that I think theatre and sport, bringing that physicality into um, something which is often considered rather cerebral, I think is is it's a really powerful educational um, tool. Yeah. One thing that's probably um, made me curious around um, the problem solving part, um, and we talked to, we've, we've talked to uh, some decision-making experts and, and, they talked around the um, kind of Gary Klein's model around the rapid uh, decision-making process or the RPD model and, and stuff like that. Yeah. But but to go through that, you have to understand or you have to know what the actual problem is first. And so how do math, like it's sometimes it's really easy, right? That here's, here's the answer, but but then it's, it's really difficult. What does X Yeah. And so how do yeah, you it's really, solve that problem? Yeah, I think it's a real challenge because um, one of the other books I really love, uh, which is kind of in this genre, is um, Kahneman's book, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow. 
And, you know, that book is actually challenging that our rapid thinking, our intuitive thinking is often flawed, that we, we um, uh, our intuition, which is a kind of shortcut, using our intuition can actually lead us to the wrong answer. And, you know, the book's just full of um, stories of uh, how this fast thinking, um, it can be very dangerous. And, you know, so he's saying, you know, but humans developed and it's one of the skills of perhaps the human species, why we're called homo sapiens over uh, the kind of other uh, species that evolve is that we found this you know, our frontal lobe allows us to engage and analyze a problem in a kind of analytic, what he calls a slow way of thinking, um, because you have to sometimes, uh, you know, hold back and say, okay, my, my intuition um, uh, is saying this, but actually, if I look at the kind of analysis of it, actually, I'd come to a different answer. And I think why I book, called my book Thinking Better is I was sort of playing off that title, because I think, you know, although, yeah, it's an analytic way of thinking, it doesn't necessarily need to be slow. It, and I think mathematics has built up this kind of, uh, uh, these ways of thinking which are analytic, gets you to the right answer, but actually don't have to be slow. They can be actually analytic, but shortcuts to finding the, that solution. But, you know, that's why we need to spend some time training our brain, actually, you know, to... Sometimes you want to be able to access that way of thinking uh, quickly in a situation uh, where you you say, okay, uh, I want to, I need to answer this problem quickly, um, but I don't want to just fall into the trap of heuristics and intuition because I know that's going to probably get me to the wrong answer. So it's you know that's why we train our kids at school to do mathematics up to the age of eighteen is that we're trying to get them to to have these tools to to think quickly about a problem and get to the answer, the correct answer as efficiently as possible. I mean, we don't want them reinventing the, the wheel. I mean, that's the point. You know, these shortcuts have taken a long time to materialize over the history of, of our thinking species. And, and the idea of teaching them and the idea of the book is, you know, I want this book to be your shortcuts to the shortcuts that have taken a long time uh, for humanity uh, to come up with. So, you know, I think one of the classic ones, and I, I think it's kind of an interesting chapter in the book, is uh, um, dealing with risk, because risk is something that we have to deal with in many situations in life, but risk is about probability. And our intuition is often incredibly flawed when it comes to assessing the probability that something is going to happen. Um, and I think this comes down to probability is actually about uh, an experience with large numbers, large data sets. Um, and the human species is not very experienced evolutionary wise with large numbers. And we often get things very wrong about large numbers. You know, if I, if I say there's a one in a million chance that um, somebody uh, is likely to have committed a crime in London, um, one in a million for us sounds like, well, that means they haven't done it. It's impossible. But hold on, there are, there are actually 10 million people live in London. And so that means that, you know, um, Actually, there are 10 people who perhaps will have done this, and I've got one in the courtroom. So that's actually now a one in one in 10. Is this one one out of the 10 people who possibly could have done that? And that's a completely different statistic. So this kind of way of thinking, probability is a really 
dangerous place for using our intuition because um, we we really often fall into a kind of trap of something sounds incredibly unlikely, um, but actually when one looks at it in in a kind of analytic way, you realize, oh, I know this is much more. Uh, likely than possible. And, you know, we get this with medical data dealing with trying to understand, um, you know, we read a headline which says, oh, if I eat bacon, I double my chances of getting prostate cancer. Uh, And, uh, you know, that sounds terrible. And so I stop eating bacon. But actually, if you go, hey, hold on, look, there are the the chances are that two out of a thousand people might get prostate cancer. If I... um, uh, you know, if I actually eat bacon, I double my chances. Well, that means it goes from two to four, but four of a thousand is still small, you know. So, actually, I love bacon and, and going from two out of a thousand to four out of a thousand. But when I sound like I'm doubling my chances, it sounds like I'm really going to, um, you know, cause myself to have cancer. And so, having these kind of strategies to unravel. Uh, that kind of language is is really important in our modern world where we're not living in the jungle now surrounded by just a few of our fellow apes. We're having to deal with, you know, millions of people around us and understanding what that means for our kind of role in society. And that's why we need these kind of rather counterintuitive tools, um, which is what mathematics has developed for us to to navigate the world around us. Yeah. And I think there was, there's a couple of things that like was swirling around in my mind. First of all, I guess I probably have to apologize to my mathemati- my mathematics teacher and say, when will I use this in my uh, in my everyday life? And it's it's all around me all the time, constantly um, with what I'm with what I'm doing. And you know, from driving a car, I'm doing the maths on like whether the risk of like do I turn now or do I wait for that car to there's a little bit of trajectory there and calculating speeds and all that type of stuff that's happening but it kind of it kind of actually took me to um when you're talking around solving problems and how fast we can solve problems and it went down and especially when you're talking around um Daniel Kahneman's work around um the two the two types of thinking systems was in a previous life before I was a, a rugby coach and part-time podcaster I was a chef and so um and so as I was cooking, like we could have a you know, you can imagine how busy a restaurant can be on a Friday, Saturday night. And so all of a sudden we've got 20 tickets in front of us and we've got maybe in there's between two to you know six individual dishes on this one ticket and you all of a sudden you're like, well, now you need to cook all this and they all come out at the same time. And so we had to think of shortcuts around like, how can we do it? So then obviously we get all the steaks on and we put all the steaks on and then we put in one pan, we put all our, um, put all our medium steaks in this pan. We put all our medium rare ones in this pan. We know whereabouts in the oven that they they are. And yeah, that's mathematics in motion and, it, and it probably in a really small, bizarre, bizarre way. But, when you're talking around like how fast can we think about it or do we need to be a little bit more analytic in a, in a sense of a rugby coach and I got um last year we I got given a, a stack of papers um from one of my um colleagues who coaches the female Canterbury rugby team the FPC rugby team and it was the statistics of every or every little bit of data from their competitor that they're about to play so they had things there around like 
little charts around whereabouts do they kick and then where do those kicks land and how often are they kicking and what parts of the field are they off? And the, the one stat that picked got my brain is like an area that I would look to try and expose was what are they doing off the first-hand receiver? And so the first person would generally carry, I think the stat was around 72% of the time they carry. So you'd, but they have, they have it mapped out in what section of the ground that they're going to be doing that. So you, you can come up with a really kind of, well, you're talking that risk and reward around going, well, we could probably take a little bit of risk here, not giving up defensive line pressure, but we can't take any risk here because they're generally going to carry. So we need to know that we're going to be going up on this person and we need to be making our spot tackles there. Yeah. And, not, and Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so, there are so many different uh, things going, going on here. I mean, it's, it's just, uh, I mean, I think your cooking example is, is, is really perfect because I actually use that quite often because people say, oh, when am I going to use my maths? Um, and I, I think the kitchen is a, of a restaurant is a place where, you know, you're, you're having to build algorithms that are going to be able to produce the, all the food at the same time. You just, and imagine the planning of what food do you need to buy in to make sure you're going to be able to cover all of the, 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 uh, the people, the food that people want, but not have too much wastage. You know, that's a, a whole equation going on there. It's, you know, cost benefit, um, you know, profit versus, uh, uh, you know, making sure that everyone has their meals. So it, it's just, I, I mean, it's, it's really, uh, I think a perfect example. And I, I've seen, you know, I, I went actually, um, into, uh, a university in Columbia, which they, they, I was visiting Columbia recently and they were teaching very practical things. And, and in the kitchen, they said, you know, but we're using maths all the time to train our chefs, and they're so surprised because they thought, "Oh, I didn't, I didn't actually realize maths was going to be useful." But it's absolutely key to to the management of a a good restaurant. Um, and I think you know the other thing about your rugby example is perfect because there are so many um, things strategies going on inside there. You know, one of the key shortcuts for me, and it's the one I kick up the book off, is um, looking for patterns. You know, that's what math I'm so often called, you know, my teacher called maths, uh, the art of the shortcut, but the other thing I sometimes describe it as it's the science of patterns and that by looking for patterns that gives you a very, uh, you know, very often you want to try and predict things into the future. You're trying to predict, okay, the game is set up now. What, where is the game going to be in five seconds time? And, you know, exactly what you said, if you look at the data, you see, hold on. People just have patterns of play. Particular players like to do particular things in particular situations, and they they would just repeat that same behavior. Um, you know, they might have two different patterns. And again, you'll say, but 75% of the time they go this way, 25% this way, and then you're into a probability and risk analysis. Okay, I've spotted the pattern. It's not guaranteed, um, but I now know what the balance of play is that the three out of four times it goes this way and then you set up your strategy accordingly and this is why you know a casino it's like a casino you know you you basically got um the chances of a uh, red coming up against black or um uh, uh low numbers against high numbers and we know that a casino employs huge numbers of mathematicians in order to be able to 
balance the, the the rewards against the, the amount played such that the casino in the long run will come out on top. And that's the point, you know, as a team, uh, okay, a play might go against you, but you set up your team such that in the long run, well, three out of four times, um, this way of setting the team up is going to stop them making that try. One out of four, yeah. But only one out of four times do they go that particular way. So we need to set the team up for the three out of four. In the long run, yeah, three out of four times we're going to stop that try. One time it might go through, but better that way than four out of three. One out of four is the only time we stop it. So, you know, you can, it's just seeing that this language that we've developed in mathematics is absolutely bubbling under every other um, problem solving situation that we're facing in life. Yeah. And and I probably want to now kind of kind of so that's understanding the problems. And so if if a problem in rugby is um we're not getting go forward, then we can figure out a way through maybe it's the geometry or the way that we'll set up our, our pods or or our runners and stuff like that. And so we can we can troubleshoot that. The next part is obviously making sure that we've got the right strategy in place to solve that problem. And so again, there's so many different ways that you can probably slice a pizza and if you've got you know six people to feed and you can go six even triangles but then you could also be a little bit naughty and decide that you want to cut around around pizza into squares and there goes your six pizzas right but maybe not the right strategy if you want to feed feed everybody evenly so how do mathematicians manage to find the right strategy for the right the right problem yeah, uh, I mean that's that's a kind of art, and I think it is partly, um, you, you know, what we spend our time teaching our students. I mean, I, I remember being absolutely faced with that at the beginning of a course, just saying, "I don't know what uh, tools I'm meant to be using on this problem." I just had, and my tutor is saying, "Okay, yeah, but you've got to uh, try these things, and you start to get a kind of feel." for the the tools are going to work on this particular problem. So, you know, sometimes it isn't a kind of like um, easy kind of recipe for um, uh, knowing what's going to fit this particular um, bit of the jigsaw. And and that is a little bit of an intuitive field that you start to build up spending time um, in this world such that by the end of that course, seeing enough examples have got given me a feeling for the sort of way of thinking that will work when I'm faced with a kind of new sort of problem. And um, uh, so, yeah, I don't think there's an easy answer to that. And I think that's why, you know, in the book, it's sort of, I've given, uh, you know, 10 or 11 different ways of thinking of problems. And, and the idea is, okay, if one's not thinking, just move on to seeing whether it's another one that's going to, Going to work, you know. Maybe, maybe there aren't any patterns in the in the kind of strategy you're looking at, and you need to move to kind of that more geometric way of thinking. Or maybe that's not working. You realize actually, um, I I need to to think of this more like some sort of uh, optimization problem. And that's where calculus, for example, comes in. Um, that you know, that's a bit like going back to your uh, restaurant example. I've got to to balance. Uh, you know, I don't want to spend huge amount of money buying so much food that I'm going to cover all of the demands from my customers. I've got to find that sweet spot, and calculus again will now help you to find. Um, okay, what is the balance between uh, uh, 
cost and profit and and calculus is that tool to find you the optimization so you know is it that that's going to be the skill and you know one thing is you like some of my readers have said hold on are you expecting me to suddenly become an expert in the calculus after reading this book um you know that's a little bit uh optimistic and i say no actually yeah of course you know you're not going to become a mathematician after reading this book but i wonder what i want you to feel is okay i know that there is this thing called calculus and if i go to a mathematician and I take my problem to them, they will have the tool set after their, you know, like years of training to be able to help me. But I need to know that that's possible even. So what I'm trying to give people is a feel for, yeah, sometimes you'll be able to solve the problem yourself. I'll give you the skills through reading this book um, to, to do that. But sometimes it's like, okay, I can see that this is this sort of problem. I don't have the technique technical skills to do this, but I know that there is somebody who does. And so you then, you know, one of the best, best shortcuts is actually sharing your problem with somebody else, um, becoming a team and using the combined skills. Um, and that's kind of one of the interesting shortcuts I talk about in the book is this kind of idea of the wisdom of the crowd, you know, Individuals might not actually have the answer, but if you come together and you pull your knowledge, um, and, uh, the kind of weird thing is the wisdom of the crowd. You know, everyone makes a guess at the number of uh, jelly beans in a jar. Everyone's all over the place. There are some way too small, some too, way too big. But the weird thing is, if you average out those guesses, um, very often you the the crowd has an in, sort of intuitive knowledge that the individual doesn't. And so one of my uh, things is that you know, sometimes it's about combining your skills and each has an individual um, knowledge that is not getting you to the solution, but combining those can. Um, so I think that's often, you know, I, I can see this as a problem where optimization is important. Okay, I need to find somebody who has those calculus skills to be able to analyze actually how to do it. Um, so, I, you know, not maybe the answer you wanted, but, you know, I think that the... the, the the idea is that you've got to try out lots of different things, lots of different strategies and start to see when the door sort of opens and you go, okay, this is about a modeling problem. So, you know, I, I need to model this. You know, I think the interesting thing is, you know, with a gameplay um, is that, uh, you know, you want to actually sometimes try a sort of trial and error, just try out the modeling on a computer and, and just start to see, you know, why are these games sort of working out better and you know that's actually you know we we've got this new skills of artificial intelligence and they're very good at playing games because um in a sense they've got the possibility to to try out reparameterizing the the strategies and start to see okay uh the, the sort of machine learning about finding ways to play a game like chess or go um but the interesting thing is, should we be applying these more to sport? You know, so set up um, a kind of uh, synthetic game of rugby on in a computer and just let it run with particular ways of thinking. Will the game, will the computer actually start to to change those parameters in interesting ways and come up with a way of playing the game yeah. that is like totally alien to us? But actually, when you when it's founded, if you know that's what happened, for example, in the game of Go, this ancient Chinese game, nineteen by nineteen grid, um, a, a computer found this kind of machine learning way of playing the game, um, 
And she came up with a new strategy that people thought in traditionally was a bad strategy, but it, the the computer showed, no, actually, you think this is a bad play, but let me show you why actually it can be very valuable in certain settings. And, and it's changed the way we play that game as humans now. And so I think that's kind of uh, interesting in respect of sports, you know, have we got so s- stuck in our way of thinking in football, for example, that whenever there's a free kick, we stick a wall in front of that uh, player? And actually, is that necessarily a clever idea because you're obscuring the view of the goalkeeper? Um, are there other ways to set up that we just have not thought about? And I think very often, see, we fall into this trap of just repeating behaviors that we become very mechanistic in the way we behave like machines. And the exciting thing, you know, I read this other book called The Creativity Code, which is all about, you know, how can artificial intelligence actually help us humans to be creative again in the way that we do things, problem solving or or uh, whatever it is we're doing. Um, and I've seen some very interesting examples of how machines can, AI can actually help us to, to think differently again and stop behaving in you know, this kind of me- mechanistic way of the way we set up a um, the way we play rugby or football um, is just stuck in a very traditional way of thinking. And sometimes we need something disruptive to challenge um, the, the way we play. Yeah. And it's so much running through my mind at the moment. And, I, and I'm loving this conversation that we're having about, and I never ever thought that I'd ever say that I'm loving a conversation around mathematics, but I, <laughs> I, 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 I really am. And so the, um, and the first part that I want to touch on is around the, the AI stuff that you're talking about. And so I think it was it was Wayne Smith, former All Black coach, Wayne Smith, who he used um, essentially AI. They created this program and he designed it in a way that he knew how, I believe it was the South Africans would defend in, in a particular way for their backstrikes. And so he had developed this program that he could create a backstrike and then they just ran it for 24 hours because they could run it over and over again. Yeah. How successful the play would be over a 24 hour period. So what is that? And then they could, they could then create like a probability around if we use this move in this area, we've got, you know, it's, I'll say something that's flattering to, to Wayne, you know, an 80% chance of probability that we're going to score okay, well, that's that's a high, yeah. that's a sweet, well, we're going to run this move and we're going to score off it every time. So I think we're starting to go there. I don't think we're we're quite there yet. The next part of that you talked around just before, um, just before, when you finished was around like that and like kind of the innovation. And so the way the format of the scrum it used to be you just had to have eight in there, right? And then all of a sudden they found an effective way to get eight into a scrum and push in a way that they worked as a as a team or as a cohesive group to have three at the front, three at the front. We had two locks, we had the the Lucy's on either side, and then we had a number eight in between. And that was probably the also the potentially the cleanest and possible way to to create a scrum. And so that's become Become really effective, and now they've brought it into law around this is how how we scrum. Yeah, right. When you're talking around strategies, a light bulb kind of switched in around. Um, so a mathematician's skill set is around 
their ability to strategize the same as what a player is, their skill set is to run, catch and pass a ball, right? And so they need to figure out within that moment what is the best strategy or the best solution to the problem that I'm trying to solve is I don't want to get tackled. I need to move this ball. Now, is it better to move the ball to the person beside me who's going to get tackled? They could lose it. Or is it better to move the ball to the person behind me? And that's where I was just starting to go there. And now some players are really good at it, at doing that and exercising it in the same way that you explained around some some mathematicians are really good at figuring out really quickly what type of mess that they need to yeah. the solution they need to use to solve the problem. And now probably to pull all this together, it's it doesn't seem like it's a, a like a like it's something that you're born with skill. It seems like it, this is a an experience. This is something that you can learn. Mathematics is something that you can learn. So you have to, but you have to have a growth mindset to, to I guess lean into that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's you know like um, training is such an important part of becoming a rugby player. You know, you you uh, to start with something is rather unnatural, but you repeat it enough times and the fluidity comes it's like learning a musical instrument you can't play um a piece of music um uh, immediately and that's was one of the interesting uh things i did in the book was to talk to people from other disciplines to see whether they had their own shortcuts or whether there are some disciplines that really don't have shortcuts and um actually very often when you're um when actually you have to change your body in some way, you know, for a, a, I talked to a cellist and she said, I need to get a, a, a muscle memory in my hands to be able to play a piece. And that actually takes time. There's no way I can shortcut that other than actually putting in the hours of practice. And, um, uh, I actually wish I'd talked to a sports person uh, as one of the people, because I think that's another place where, you know, you're often having to physically change your body, either um, building up strengths or actually um, a skill set in being able to, you know, for example, um, playing tennis to have that top spin such that it's perfectly tuned to get the ball over the net and not going into the net or go, you know, going too long on the court. So, you know, that takes time to get that just that that feeling in the body of just that perfect moment to to strike that ball. And that's quite hard to shortcut. Um, but then, you know, so it's a combination of things that still the musician that I talked to, the challenge, she said, yeah, on the other hand, there are shortcuts for me because I learned my scales. And that means I'm like learning a word rather than individual notes. So did I see that pattern again, this word pattern shortcut? If I see that pattern on the page when I'm playing, um, I can very quickly just play that sequence without having to think. And so that for me, I build up this kind of patterns that I have as shortcuts of play. And I put those together to make the whole piece. And again, you know, any uh, sports person will be building up, you know, short sequences of play that they're putting together to make that larger thing, which is the, the whole game. And so, you know, it's a really interesting combination. And I think that's sort of for me as a mathematician, when I said, you know, Unfortunately, you know, I think you have to build up just a feeling for the the sort of 
way of thinking that's going to work. And that takes a bit of time. Yeah. It takes time to become a mathematician. You can't do that immediately. But then I sort of built up enough of these sh- sort of ways of thinking that when I come across a new problem, I've got these tools at my fingertips to be able to just try things out. And, um, you know, I think that's, again, one of the things about our education system that we we sort of don't teach our kids how to think. We we give them the kind of rote learning or something. And actually what we need is to give them the skill set to be able to be adaptable, to be able to be flexible in, in, in changing from one problem to another, especially going forward, because, you know, we're going into a very fast changing society with artificial intelligence, taking jobs away, new things appearing. This is the new revolution in employment that's happening. And actually those that, are going to succeed are those that have the skill set to be able to retrain to yeah. understand how to to adapt and and to have the skills at their fingertips to be able to to use the old things they know to apply in a kind of new setting yeah i kind of want to go back because i love that and um what you're just talking about about there around kind of the the new age of the way things are going and and I guess my son has found a, found a shortcut in his mathematics problem is that he can, I think it's on Snapchat or something like that, he can point his phone at a maths equation and, and the phone can read it and it can work it out for them and show them all the working and he's just like, well, what do I need to learn this stuff for? And and I'm probably Very like... Very interesting. Yeah, I'm just like, well, maybe maybe you don't, but maybe you should. Um because he he does he understands numbers really well he he's really confident in in that type of stuff so so he gets that he obviously didn't get that kind of growth mindset around numbers from me that might be from from his mother's or some some great <laughs> but um but I want to go back to when you're talking around um you might not have the the solution or know the solution but somebody within you might need to go out and go further and so and that there really resonated with me because as a coach, we probably don't need to have the whole problem or, or the solution to the problem. Right. And so what we, what we're seeing from afar because we're either situated a little bit higher up and a little bit further away, a little bit removed. And we can see kind of some patterns starting to unfold around maybe some errors that we're making and all that, but we don't, we're not as close as what the players are. And so they can problem solve and they can, and, and that shared, like you're talking around, it's just like, all you need to do is propose, like pose the right question, don't you? Hey, the question is, or the, or the right problem is, we've just had the ball for the last five minutes, but we've dropped it, you know, 20 times. What's happening? What's it? What's our solution to the, to the fix? We don't have to have the answer because the answer is we need to catch it. But <laughs> but the solution is okay what why aren't we catching it so maybe it's the the team what we can't see from our vantage point is actually that we need to be standing back a little bit further or we need to be a little bit well, yeah exactly i think that's why that uh you know initial problem which sounds like well why why is counting the numbers from one to a hundred um important to me yeah okay that particular problem isn't but it's the the idea of hey step back from the problem don't get stuck in the minutiae of oh one two three four five step back and and that perspective is often the the key to looking at the problem in a new way oh i see the thing as a whole now and by looking at it as a whole i see a different way of combining the the problems 
that I'm facing and now the thing is clicking and working. And there's something, I think, you know, when you described reading the the book and the satisfaction of, uh, you know, the frustration, but then somehow how that satisfaction of just understanding this new way of thinking, I think that for me, that's what's so was also very attractive for me about maths is that it is difficult. It is, but the satisfaction of just suddenly seeing how to solve the problem in a new way is, is an incredible aha moment. And, um, you know, I think nobody wants to do lots of hard work, but just having that insight is a real sort of a adrenaline rush. You get this dopamine hit of just um, the joy of just suddenly seeing, and then that starts to, to, to really get addictive. And, you know, why everyone loves kind of puzzles and games and, uh, setting up artificial kind of barriers and then just having the the joy of seeing how to overcome those barriers. Yeah. And and I think now now talking and and listening to to you talk today, like the importance of of practice around like essentially what we're doing is like we're practices around that is part of the the equation right so we're chunking a little part it's almost like how we start off with one plus one equals two like to get to one one all the way through to the hundred we need to have those little building blocks or those little foundations to understand and so you know we talk about maybe our basic fundamentals around run run catch pass is one plus one but then we get into yeah. the intricate details, a little bit more long division, maybe a little bit of algebra is getting thrown in there. And that's where we start playing more chaotic, introducing chaotic games to our players so that they can see kind of what is the potential of some some stuff that we're going to, some challenges that we're going to face. And you need to try and troubleshoot some of these problems and you need to come up with your own your own solutions as a, as a mini unit. But then we go into the game and, and I guess to solve that, the I guess the problem is, or the the answer is we want to win. How do we solve that problem? And then you can do that. And and I guess another really weird connection that I'm making now is that, and it's probably something that's always been drummed into me is like when you're writing a question down and you and you're not using a calculator, but you're writing down the equation, making sure that you're writing your working down so that you can start working backwards to go, okay, well, maybe we didn't win the game, but we can maybe circle some areas of where we could probably improve. Yeah. <laughs> very, very interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I love your idea. I mean, I think it's it absolutely right that very often when you've got some complex um structure, whatever it is, uh one of the really key strategies is, can I break this down into kind of its building blocks? What are the building blocks for this particular structure? Because if I can understand that, well, actually, you know, there are many different examples of this, you know, many examples of a rugby game or something, but actually, you understand, no, but there are like six different things which make this thing tick and it, and it's, the complex combination of these, which makes the kind of rich game. But I understand now these, there are these six key things and they, that's sort of what a coach uh, learns is, is the experience of all those coaches in the past, which have understood, you know, these six key things are actually what 
go up to make um, you know a team tick and play well. And and you know there might be innovative moments when people suddenly understand, oh, there's a seventh thing which we we missed. Or um, uh, but very often, you know that that's what you're learning is the experience of how to to break down a very complex thing into the the uh, sort of building blocks which uh you know um make something work and that's you know a lovely challenge to think about a game and you know uh, what are why are these the the key things why is the complexity of a thing made up of all of these individuals and sometimes as you say sometimes there are things which are you know, we, we talk about in science something called an emergent phenomena, something where actually it's quite hard to predict um, uh, if you put these things together, you'll get this, you know, the individual things together almost give you more than the sum of the parts. You know, something like our consciousness, we know that our consciousness is a product of neurons and synapses, and but it's kind of weird thing. You know, if you put, put enough of these together, that suddenly the thing has a sense of itself. And we still don't understand quite why we know what the building blocks are. We know these synapses, neurons, but we don't sort of understand why when you put them together in a particular way, something weird happens. And and that's kind of the magic of like a game of rugby, that there are things that happen in a game situation, which can never happen in in a, just a practice situation, there are things which happen when the 15 players are all together playing, which somehow individually, when you have just three or four, never happen. And that's kind of, uh, you know, a beautiful thing about the, the magic of, you know, you still have these individual building blocks, but often it's quite hard to predict. And, you know, I talk about in the book, well, when are the moments when it's actually impossible to to kind of have a shortcut or know what's going to happen next and you have to just let the thing play out and um sometimes that's important you know you actually mentioned the word chaos um earlier when you were talking about a game you know the chaotic situation that's you might have the formula uh, or the equation, but often these equations are so sensitive to small changes. You know, we talk about the weather, a butterfly flapping its wings can cause the weather to go in a completely different situation. And that's the magic, you know, the good games are those that aren't predictable, that actually a very small change. And that's why rugby and football is so exciting to watch because you know that just a small thing can happen, a drop of a ball or just one player being slightly differently positioned such that they intercept uh, it, those are the moments where just, you know, you thought you knew what was happening and then the thing goes in a completely different direction is why these games are so exciting and not predictable. Yeah. And and I, yeah, I just really love what you just, what you just said there. Everything was, um, that unpredictability is that, that's that excitement piece that everybody loves. You just, you know, you're constantly on a knife edge and, um, we've obviously here over in New Zealand, we've got the Women's Football World Cup playing out, and you know it's the every goal that miss is of the finest of margins, and and although maybe it soars over the over the posts or over the woodwork by like you know five ten meters, there's there's actually a, quite a small adjustment really in what they're doing in in the in the kicking is of what they're doing and you, everything or when that does hit the post and you're just like a millimeter below like millimeter yeah. lower like it's a, it's in it's much fine margin absolutely but it's something about football which is that you know there just does feel like the chance that 
even up to uh, the 89th minute that something, you know, we saw that when Manu won the Champions League against Bayern. Uh, you know, that was just an utter brilliant piece of magic that happened in that game. And we know that that can happen. And so that's why, you know, uh, it's, it's interesting because the, the new book that I've just written, which is coming out in October, is called Around the World in 80 Games. I mean, mostly it's about sort of uh, card games and and board games. But, but actually, you know, some games just don't work because after a while, you know, I think Monopoly is a dreadful game because um, after a while you just know who's going to win and it's about grinding out, making everyone bankrupt. But the beautiful games are those, you know, I love playing a game called Ticket to Ride or Settlers of Catan. They're, these are games actually, even towards the end, you're not quite clear who's going to win. And there's an element of chance in there, which means that even a weak player still has a, a you know some chance that the things can can work in their favour. So you know I, I really love analysing games and you know why do some games really work and are sort of perfect to play and perfect to watch, whilst those games that just somehow don't don't quite capture the magic. You know it's interesting, like a strategy game like chess. Chess is interesting, but if you have one bad player against a good player, it's a boring game uh, for both players and for anybody to watch. So strategy games sort of need perfectly matched players in order for them to be interesting. And, and you find that in sport as well, you know, sort of. Um, uh, but there are some sports where even a weak player kind of can can give somebody a good game. And so often it's where there's a bit of chance involved. Um, you know, so that's why in football, even the uh, at the bottom of the league can sometimes just have that element of luck of, you know, that fine tuning of, of hitting a ball and it actually going in the net. That's why, you know, even when you watch, you know, I'm an Arsenal supporter, you know, we, we were playing bottom of the league Southampton and, and they, you know, they beat us and it, that's the magic of the game that even what looks like a weak team can have that moment of luck um that means that they they can beat you i mean yeah. i didn't enjoy being beaten but <laughs> well, it's, it's like i i think of like the card game uno right you could end up having like your hands filled with cards and then within kind of two three plays you could be the you could be the last one out or, or something like that and that yeah. and you're right around the competition and side of things and, and we see it a lot here in rugby is that you know come sometimes there are score blowouts so what are some ways that we can do to make it interesting so that because the kids the data showed us that the kids don't um it's not the winning or losing that they they don't care they they can take it or leave winning but they do still love the competition they like to know that they're playing you know, at their best level up against someone who's playing at their best level and it's a fair and even match. And, and you see it in school school grounds. Kids are really quick to try and even games up to be like, oh, yeah, you take, like, if that scores up, oh, we'll give them this player and this player and, and that will be, that will even the game up yeah. and make it fun and enjoyable, not just for for the mo for, for everybody in the yeah. yeah which is really cool. And um, maybe I'll probably have to, I'll wait, count, I'll look forward to, for that release of that new book and we might have to get you on for a part two to, to unpack that. Excellent. With our guests. Um, that, that, that's, a, that's a deal. Yeah, perfect. And so we've got our quick fire segment um, to come up, but before we do that, what's probably um, one parting bit of advice 
that you can give our coaches to maybe lean into thinking more like a mathematician and and less like a rugby coach? <laughs> um, yeah, I think uh, it's to re set your mind about what mathematics is because i think you know most people's reaction is perhaps the one that you had uh, initially oh my god this is a maths book but but to understand that mathematics is not about uh boring long calculation but is it's about patterns it's a language it's about problem solving and it is bubbling underneath everything so it's understanding oh actually what i already doing is mathematics and okay that means that if i learn more of that it's going to help me uh in the thing that i enjoy doing it's it's um so i think that's uh probably the secret is to, is to kind of unlearn the thing um, bushy that we've often learned at school which is that fear of mathematics uh, as something alien but realizing actually uh i'm doing mathematics all the time anyway yeah i oh, know that's that's awesome and so we'll jump into our thick quick fire segment you're inviting three people to dinner who are they and what are you cooking <laughs> um well okay uh i'm going to invite um uh some mathematicians uh from the past because one of the things i love is just understanding the history of my subject so um there's a guy i've just written a play about because i really want to understand him he's called andre vey he was one of the greatest mathematicians at the beginning of the 20th century um actually he's proved an amazing theorem in prison um so uh andre vey um every scalois who weirdly also um spent some time in prison as a revolutionary um uh, french revolutionist in the beginning of the 19th century but he invented a language which I use every day to understand symmetry. Um, so I'd love to talk to him. Um, and uh, let's go back and invite, uh, um, uh, uh, yeah, I'll invite an Indian mathematician who invented zero, um, Brahmagupta, because uh, that was in like an amazing moment. I'd love to hear about his discovery of how do you, in, how do you in, invent a new number? Uh, so three mathematicians and what do I cook for them? Um, well, I enjoy cooking. So it's one of my big passions, but, um, but maybe we should uh, uh, um, have a mathematically themed uh, uh, <laughs> meal. So, yeah, maybe we should use something like the Fibonacci numbers. So everything should come in one, two, three, five, eights, thirteens. Um, and there are some wonderful vegetables that uh, that actually grow in using Fibonacci numbers. So um, uh, maybe we should have a kind of a, a vegetarian Fibonacci fest. Oh no, that that sounds like a not, a, not very quick, Dad. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's right. But what an amazing that sounds like an amazing dinner. Um one of your favorite personal sporting memories. Now, this could be you competing or you as a spectator. <laughs> yeah, I, I do remember we had so I play football um and I remember it coming down to, we we had a kind of knockout competition and it came down to penalties and i scored the winning penalty and I, I, it was just ridiculously i mean it was kind of silly just sunday morning competition but um there was something incredibly satisfying about uh, scoring the winner winning penalty that won us that championship so um that that's uh yeah one of my strongest memories of me playing Oh no, that's that's an awesome memory. Thanks for sharing that one. Who's a coach, mentor, or teacher that's had an impact on you? Yeah, well, it's the one I talk about in the book. Actually, who is a mathematician? 
te- mathematics teacher. I just went to my local state comprehensive school, but he pulled me aside when I was about 12 or 13. And he said, you know, look, mathematics is not what we're doing in the classroom. It's something so much more beautiful. And he was called Mr. Bailson. And he uh, he kind of gave me this key to a secret garden. And I just don't know why. I suppose all the work I do is trying to thank that teacher for what he did and trying to do that for just everyone else to explain to them that maths is something so much more beautiful than just calculations. So, you know, I owe him so much for uh, revealing this world to me. And I, I wouldn't be where I was if it wasn't for that teacher. So thank you, Mr. Bailson. Hell, what an that's an incredible story, and you're doing a great job. You've you've made a converter out of me. Um, <laughs> great. What's one bit of advice you'd give a young Marcus starting out on his mathematic journey all over again? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think. Um, what would I? Uh, you know, I think it's. One of the things I try and encourage people is to understand that um, failure is an important part of learning Um, and that to get something wrong is not a problem. Uh, And that I think, you know, mathematics, oftentimes we, we want perfection. And actually, you learn more when you get something wrong than when you get something right. So not to be scared to get something wrong. No, that's that's some wicked piece of advice. Uh, so if you were to have your uh, your first mess class start up tomorrow with a with a brand new cohort of students, what would your go to activity be for them to um, introduce them to your world of mess? Oh, that's already. Uh, I, I think uh, my strategy is very often to start by not being in a mathematical space and just to start to reveal the maths that's hiding there. So, you know, my particular passion is symmetry. Um, and so I love just showing people, you know, how much symmetry there is hiding under nature, under music, under art, literature, the sciences, and then to start to say, okay, but how do we actually talk about symmetry? And then, then that's when I start to introduce this language that actually every Scalois, the rev- French revolutionary that's coming to dinner with me, um, developed. So, you know, it's it's drawing people in through the things that they love, and then starting to give them the language to be able to to actually navigate that. So um, that that's to me how I think I would do it. No, that's that sounds like a um, very exciting mess. Mass lesson. Uh, what does, and this is our final question, what does being an educator mean to you? I think it's uh, something we talked about earlier. It's actually having the skills to be adaptable. Um, so it's not about facts. You know, we now have wonderful tools in our pockets, which we can use Google to find out when Queen Victoria died or something. It's actually about having uh, the strategies to be able to be adaptable, change, uh, be faced with a problem, realize this is a new problem in, uh, this is an old problem in a new disguise and actually know how to do this. So being educated, I think, is about having the skill set to be able to be uh, uh, adaptable to new situations. Yeah. 
Oh, that's that's awesome. Marcus, this has been, um, again, I can't believe that I'm about to say this, but this has been such an incredible conversation around your world and of maths. And I've learned a whole lot, not just from reading your book, but even just having this conversation and unpacking some of those, those thoughts a little bit deeper. And um, yeah, the crossover between, oh, hopefully our coaches that are listening in and seeing that within our beautiful game is, is the beautiful world that you see that is mass so um really thank you for sharing your passion for for your industry and and for for the work that you do and um thank you again for writing such an incredible book that you great well thank you for having me on and giving the chance to kind of share share my ideas i think you're absolutely right it's about crossover and you know diversity is key here it's just not getting stuck in our little silos and just sharing our different ways of thinking is how we're going to solve you know all the problems we're facing whether it be in rugby or climate change or uh, anything really that it's about sharing our ways of thinking oh that's amazing cool thank you very much thank you I would have never have thought that I would have, when starting out this podcast, recorded a podcast or got a mathematician on as a guest. And it was all through Marx's book that we that we talked about. And I think what what the book does, and hopefully what this uh, what this podcast has identified to people. The coaches listening in that it that this wasn't a podcast around how to be better at algebra. It was a podcast around how we think about things in the games through using a mathematician's mindset. So we have a situation and we have a, a scenario. How do we then? give the skills and techniques to our players to allow them to problem solve, to allow them to find the right equations or the right solutions to their problem, and then how do they execute it? And I think that's the that's what is at the heart of this this podcast with with Marcus. And I think it's it is a really important skill for coaches to pass on to our players that there isn't just a one-way system. There's Because rugby is so dynamic, and and if you're not a rugby coach but a sports coach, because sports can be so dynamic, especially when in team sports, we have to be empowering our players in a way that allows them to be able to troubleshoot on the fly, to be able to figure out do we do we need to go to a kick strategy or do we need to go to a running strategy? Do we need to play more with our forwards or do we need to be more backs and speed orientated? That's these are the solutions that we need our players to try and figure out when we are coaching them, when we're giving them the scenarios around that type of stuff. And so if anything from this podcast um, that you've listened to, that's the message. That's the underlying message that is coming out of out of today's episode um, that we just had with Marcus, and it was great to talk to an Oxford professor uh, of math, mathematics, and he was he was a great great guest. And if you 
enjoyed this podcast and our conversation that we had, or if you've enjoyed other other um, podcasts that we've recorded, um, would love to get your feedback and let us know what you enjoyed about those those uh, those episodes. Because I love passing it back back on to our, our guests because sometimes they're like, I'm not too sure what what they're going to learn from me. So um, if you can share what you are learning from these podcasts with me so that I can pass them on to the guests would be epic. Um, as always, would love you to share um, as many of our episodes to your, within your coaching network or your network. Um, and would love for you to, if you have the time, just to give us a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts um, would be also great as well. So. Thanks again for, for listening in. Really appreciate it. And a big massive thank you to our producer, Josh Bamber.